Chapter Six of the Loudwater Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Loudwater Mystery by Edgar Jepson. Chapter Six. Olivia had very little appetite for breakfast. It is to be doubted, indeed, whether she was aware of what she was eating. Elizabeth Twitcher hovered about her, solicitous, pressing her to eat more. She was fond of her mistress, and very uneasy, lest she should have harmed her seriously by her careless gossiping the night before. But she was surprised by the exceedingly anxious and worried expression which dwelt on Olivia's face. Her air grew more and more harassed. The murder of her husband had doubtless been a shock, but he had been such a husband. Elizabeth Twitcher had expected her mistress to cry a little about his death and then grow serene, as she realized what a good riddance it was. But Olivia had not cried, and she had showed no likelihood whatever of becoming serene. At the end of her short breakfast she lit a cigarette and began to pace up and down her sitting-room with a jerky, nervous gait, quite unlike her wonted, graceful, easy, swinging walk. She had to relight her cigarette, and as she did so, Elizabeth Twitcher, who was clearing away the breakfast, perceived that her hands were shaking. There was plainly more in the matter than Elizabeth Twitcher had supposed, and she wondered, growing more and more uneasy. When she went downstairs with the tray, she learned that Dr. Thornhill was examining the wound which had caused the Lord Loudwater's death, and that Mr. Flaxon and Inspector Perkins were questioning Wilkins. Talking to the other servants, she found of a sudden that she had reason for anxiety herself, and hurried back in a panic to her mistress's boudoir. She found Olivia still walking nervously up and down. The inspector and the gentleman, who is acting chief constable, are questioning the servants, my lady, said Elizabeth. Olivia stopped short and stared at her with rather scared eyes. Then she said sharply, Go down and learn what the servants have told them, all the servants, everything. Her mistress's plainly greater anxiety eased a little Elizabeth Twitcher's own panic in the matter of James Hutchins, and she went down again to the servants' quarters. Mr. Flaxon and Inspector Perkins learned nothing of importance from Wilkins, but he made it clearer to Mr. Flaxon that the temper of the murdered man had indeed been abominable. Holloway, on the other hand, proved far more enlightening. From him they learnt that Hutchins had been discharged the day before without notice, and that he had uttered violent threats against his employer before he went. Also they learnt that Hutchins, who had left about four o'clock in the afternoon, had come back to the castle at night. Jane Pittaway, an underhouse maid, had heard him talking to Elizabeth Twitcher in the blue drawing-room between eleven and half-past. Mr. Flexen questioned Holloway at length, and learned that James Hutchins was a man of uncommonly violent temper, that it had been a matter of debate in the servants' hall whether his furies or those of their dead master were the worst. Then he dismissed Holloway, 
and sent for Jane Pittaway, a small, sharp-eyed, sharp-featured young woman. She was quite clear in her story. About eleven the night before, she had gone into the great hall to bring away two vases full of flowers, to be emptied and washed next morning, and coming past the door of the blue drawing-room, had heard voices. She had listened, and recognized the voices of Hutchins and Elizabeth Twitcher. No, she had not heard what they were saying. The door was too thick. But he seemed to be arguing with her. Yes, she had been surprised to find him in the house after he had gone off like that. Besides, everybody thought that he had jilted Elizabeth Twitcher and was keeping company with Mabel Evans, who had come home on a holiday from her place in London to her mother's in the village. No, she did not know how long he stayed. She minded her own business, but if anyone asked her, she must say that he was more likely to murder someone than anyone she knew of, for he had a worse temper than his lordship even, and bullied everyone he came near worse than his lordship. In fact, she had never been able to understand how Elizabeth Twitcher could stand him, though of course everyone knew that Elizabeth could always give as good as she got. When Mr. Flaxen thanked her and said that she might go, she displayed a desire to remain and give them further views on the matter. But Inspector Perkins shooed her out of the room. Then Wilkins came to say that Dr. Thornhill had finished his examination and would like to see them. He came in with a somewhat dissatisfied air, sat down heavily in the chair the inspector pushed forward for him, and said in a dissatisfied tone, the blade pierced the left ventricle, about the middle, a good inch and a half. Death was practically instantaneous, of course. I took it that it must have been. The collapse had been so complete. I suppose the blade stopped the heart dead, said Mr. Flexen. Absolutely dead, said the doctor. But the thing is that I can't swear to it that the wound was not self-inflicted. Knowing Lord Loudwater, I could swear to it morally. There isn't the ghost of a chance that he took his own life. But physically, his right hand might have driven that blade into his heart. I thought so myself, though of course I'm no expert, said Mr. Flexen. And I agree with you when you say that you are morally certain that the wound was not self-inflicted. Those bad-tempered brutes may murder other people, but themselves never. Well, I've not your experience in crime, but I should say that you were right, said the doctor. All the same, the fact that you cannot swear that the wound was not self-inflicted will be of great help to the murderer, unless we get an absolute case against him, said Mr. Flexen. Well, I'm sure I hope you will. Lord Loudwater had a bad temper, an infernal temper, in fact, but that's no excuse for murdering him, said Dr. Thornhill. None whatever, said Mr. Flexen. What about the inquest? I suppose we'd better have it as soon as possible. Yes, tomorrow morning, if you can, said the doctor, rising. Very good. Send word to the coroner at once. Perkins, don't go yourself. I want you here, said Mr. Flexen. He shook hands with the doctor and bade him good day. As Inspector Perkins went out of the room to send word to the coroner, he bade him send Elizabeth Twitcher to him. She was not long coming, for, in obedience to Olivia's injunction, she was engaged in learning 
what the other servants knew, or thought they knew, about the murder. When she came into the dining room, Mr. Flexen's keen eyes examined her with greater care than he had given to the other servants. On Jane Pittaway's showing, she should prove an important witness. Now Elizabeth Twitcher was an uncommonly pretty girl, dark-eyed and dark-haired, and her forehead and chin, and the way her eyes were set in her head, showed considerable character. Mr. Flexen made up his mind on the instant that he was going to learn from Elizabeth Twitcher exactly what Elizabeth Twitcher thought fit to tell him, and no more, for all that he perceived that she was badly scared. He did not beat about the bush. He said, You had a conversation with James Hutchins last night, about eleven o'clock, in the blue drawing-room. Did you let him in? Elizabeth Twitcher's cheeks lost some of their color while he was speaking, and her eyes grew more scared. She hesitated for a moment, then she said, Yes, I let him in at the side door. He had not missed her hesitation. He was sure that she was not telling the truth. How did you know he was at the side door, he said. She hesitated again, then she said, He whistled to me under my window, just as I was going to bed. Again he did not believe her. Did you let him out of the castle, he said. No, I didn't. He let himself out, she said quickly. Out of the side door? How else would he go out, she snapped. You don't know that he went out by the side door, said Mr. Flexen. Elizabeth hesitated again. Then she said sullenly, No, I don't. I left him in the blue drawing-room. In a very bad temper, said Mr. Flexen. I don't know what kind of temper he was in, she said. Mr. Flexen paused, looking at her thoughtfully. Then he said, I'm told that you and he were engaged to be married, and that he broke the engagement off. I broke it off, said Elizabeth angrily, and she drew herself up very stiff and frowning. It was Mr. Flexen's turn to hesitate. Then he made a shot and said, I see. He wanted you to become engaged to him again, and you wouldn't. Elizabeth looked at him with an air of surprise and respect and said, It wasn't quite like that, sir. I didn't say as I wouldn't be his fiance again. I said I'd see how he behaved himself. Then he wasn't in a good temper, said Mr. Flexen. He was in a better temper than he had any right to expect to be, said Elizabeth with some heat. That's true, said Mr. Flexen, smiling at her. But after the trouble he had had with Lord Loudwater, he couldn't be in a very good temper. He was too used to his lordship's tantrums to take much notice of them. He was too much that way himself, said Elizabeth quickly. I see, said Mr. Flexen. What time was it when he left you? I can't rightly say, but it wasn't half-past eleven, she said. He perceived that that was true. At the moment, there was no more to be learned from her. If she could throw any more light on the doings of James Hutchins, she was on her guard and would not. But he had learned that James Hutchins had not entered the castle by the side door. Had he entered it and left it by the library window? He asked Elizabeth a few more unimportant questions and dismissed her. Inspector Perkins, having sent a groom to inform the coroner of the murder and of the need for an early inquest into it, came back to him. 
They discussed the matter of James Hutchins and decided to have him watched and arrest him on suspicion should he try to leave the neighborhood. The inspector telephoned to Low Wycombe for two of his detectives. Mr. Flexen questioned the rest of the servants and learned nothing new from them. By the time he had finished, the two detectives from Low Wycombe arrived, and he sent them out to make inquiries in the village, though he thought it unlikely that anything was to be learnt there, unless Hutchins had been talking again. He had risen and was about to go to the smoking room to look round it again, on the chance that something had escaped his eye, when Mrs. Carruthers, the housekeeper, entered the room. None of the servants had mentioned her to him, and it had not occurred to him that there would, of course, be a housekeeper. "'Good morning, Mr. Flexen. I'm Mrs. Carruthers, the housekeeper,' she said. "'You didn't send for me, but I thought I ought to see you, for I know something which may be important, and I thought you ought to know it, too.' "'Of course, I can't know too much about an affair like this,' said Mr. Flexen quickly. "'Well, there was a woman, or rather I should say a lady, with his lordship in the smoking-room last night, about eleven o'clock.' "'Indeed,' said Mr. Flexen. "'Won't you sit down? A lady, you say?' "'Yes, she was a lady, though she seemed very angry and excited, and was talking in a very high voice. I didn't recognize it, so I can't tell you who it was. You see, I don't belong to the neighborhood. I've only been here six weeks.' "'And how long did this interview last?' said Mr. Flexen. "'I can't tell you. It was no business of mine. I was making my rounds last thing to see that the servants had left nothing about. I always do. You know how careless they are. I went round the hall, and then I went to bed. But of course I wondered about it,' said Mrs. Carruthers. Mr. Flexen looked at her refined, rather delicate face, and he did not wonder how she had repressed her natural curiosity. "'Can you tell me whether the French window in the library, the end one, was open at the time?' he said. "'I can't,' she said in a tone of regret. "'I couldn't very well open the library door. If the door between the library and the smoking-room was open, I should have been certain to hear something that was not meant for my ears, and it generally is open in the summer-time. But I should think it very likely that the lady came in by that window. It's always open in the summer-time. In fact, his lordship always went out into the garden through it, going from his smoking-room. "'And what time was it that you heard this?' he said. "'A few minutes past eleven. I looked round the drawing-room and the two dining-rooms, and it was quarter past eleven when I came into my room.' "'That's the first exact time I've got from anyone yet,' said Mr. Flexen, in a tone of satisfaction. "'And that's all you heard?' She hesitated and a look of distress came over her face. Then she said, "'You have questioned Elizabeth Twitcher. Did she tell you anything about his lordship's last quarrel with her ladyship?' "'She did not,' said Mr. Flexen. "'Mr. Manley told me that she had told him about the quarrel, but I did not question her about it. I left it till later.' Mrs. Carruthers hesitated. Then she said, "'It's so difficult to see what one's duty is in a case like this.' Well, one's obvious duty is to make no secret of anything that may throw a light on the crime. Was it anything out of the way, in the way of quarrels? 
Wasn't Lord Loudwater always quarreling with Lady Loudwater? I've been told that he was always insulting and bullying her. Well, this one was rather out of the common, said Mrs. Carruthers reluctantly. He accused her of having kissed Colonel Grey in the Eastwood and declared that he would divorce her. It was Colonel Grey, was it? said Mr. Flexen. That is what Elizabeth Twitcher told me after supper last night. It seems that his lordship burst in upon them when she was dressing her ladyship's hair for dinner and blurted it out before her. I've no doubt she was telling the truth. Twitcher is a truthful girl. Moderately truthful, said Mr. Flexen, in a somewhat ironical tone. Of course she may have exaggerated. Servants do, said Mrs. Carruthers. And how did Lady Loudwater take it, said Mr. Flaxen? Twitcher said that she denied everything and did not appear at all upset about it. Of course, she was used to Lord Loudwater's making scenes. He had a most dreadful temper. Hmm, said Mr. Flexen, and he played a tune on the table with his fingertips, frowning thoughtfully. Was Colonel Grey, I suppose it is Colonel Anthony Grey, the V.C., who has been staying down here? Yes, said Mrs. Carruthers. He's at the cart and horse at Bellingham. Was he on good terms with Lord Loudwater? They were quite friendly up to about a fortnight ago. The colonel used to play billiards with his lordship and stay on to dinner two or three times a week. Then they had a quarrel about the way his lordship treated her ladyship. Holloway, the footman, heard it, and the colonel told his lordship that he was a cad and a blackguard, and he hasn't been here since. But he met Lady Loudwater in the wood? So his lordship declared, said Mrs. Carruthers, in a noncommittal tone. Do you know how Lord Loudwater came to hear of this meeting? Twitcher said that he must have had it from one of the under-gamekeepers, a young fellow called William Roper. Roper asked to see his lordship that evening, and was very mysterious about his errand, so that it looks as if she might be right. None of the servants ever went near his lordship if they could help it. It had to be something very important to induce William Roper to go to him of his own accord. I see, said Mr. Flexen thoughtfully. Well, I'm glad you told me about this. Do you suppose that this Twitcher girl has talked to anyone but you about it? That I can't say at all. But she has a bedroom to herself, said Mrs. Carruthers. Besides, if she had talked to any of the others... They would have told you about it. Yes, there is that. I think it would be a good thing if you were to give her a hint to keep it to herself. It may have no bearing whatever on the crime. It is not probable that it has. But it's the kind of thing to set people talking and do both Lady Loudwater and Colonel Grey a lot of harm. I will give her a hint at once, said Mrs. Carruthers, rising. But the unfortunate thing is that if Twitcher doesn't talk, this young fellow Roper will, and really, Lord Loudwater gave her ladyship quite enough trouble and unhappiness when he was alive, without giving her more now that he's dead. I may be able to induce William Roper to hold his tongue, said Mr. Flexen dryly. Certainly his talking cannot do any good in any case. And I have gathered that Lady Loudwater has suffered quite enough already from her husband. I'm sure she has, and I do hope you will be able to keep that young man quiet, said Mrs. Carruthers, moving towards the door. As she opened it, she paused and said, 
Will you be here to lunch, Mr. Flexen? To lunch and probably all the afternoon, he hesitated and added, It would be rather an advantage if I could sleep here, too. I do not think that I shall need to look much further than the castle for the solution of this problem, though there's no telling. At any rate, I should like to have exhausted all the possibilities of the castle before I leave it, and if I'm on the spot, I shall probably exhaust them much more quickly. Oh, that can be easily arranged. I'll see your ladyship about it at once, said Mrs. Carruthers quickly. And would you ask her if she feels equal to seeing me yet? Certainly, Mr. Flexen, and if she does, I'll let you know at once, she said, and went through the door. Mr. Flexen was considering the new facts she had given him when about three minutes later Inspector Perkins returned, and Mr. Flexen bade him find William Roper and bring him to him without delay. The inspector departed briskly. He was not used to having the inquiry into a crime conducted by the chief constable himself, but Mr. Flexen had impressed the conviction on him that it was work which he thoroughly understood. Moreover, he had been appointed acting chief constable of the district during the absence of Major Arbuthnot, on the ground of his many years' experience in the Indian police. Also, the inspector realized that this was indeed an exceptional case, worthy of the personal effort of any chief constable. He could not remember a case of the murder of a peer. They had always seemed to him a class immune from anything more serious than ordinary assault. He was pleased that Mr. Flexen was conducting the inquiry himself, for he did not wish Scotland Yard to deal with it. Not only would that cast a slur on the capacity of the police of the district, but he was sure that he himself would get much more credit for his work if he and Mr. Flexen were successful in discovering the murderer than he would get if a detective inspector from Scotland Yard were in charge of the case. Such a detective inspector might or might not earn all the credit, but he would certainly know how to get it, and probably insist on having it. He had not been gone a minute when Elizabeth Twitcher came into the dining room and said that her ladyship would be pleased to see Mr. Flexen, and led him upstairs to her sitting room. He found Olivia paler than her wont, but quite composed. She had lost her nervous air, for she had perceived very clearly that it would be dangerous, indeed, to display the anxiety which was harassing her. It was only natural that she should appear upset by the shock, but not that she should appear in any way fearful. Mr. Flexen had been told that Lady Loudwater was pretty, but he had not been prepared to find her as charming a creature as Olivia. He made up his mind at once to do the best he could to save her from the trouble that the gossip about her and Colonel Grey would surely bring upon her, if always he was satisfied that neither of them had a hand in the crime. Looking at Olivia, nothing seemed more unlikely than that she should be in any way connected with it, but he preserved an open mind. As such reasons go, she was not without reasons, substantial reasons, for getting rid of her husband, and she appeared to him to be a creature of sufficiently delicate sensibilities to feel that husband's brutality more than most women. At the same time, he found it hard to conceive of her using that fatal knife herself. Yet the knife is most frequently the womanly weapon. 
For her part, Olivia liked his face, but she had an uneasy feeling that he would go further than most men in solving any problem with which he set his mind to grapple. They greeted one another. He sat down in a chair facing the light, though he would have preferred that Olivia should have faced it, and expressed his concern at the trouble which had befallen her. Then he said, I came to see you, Lady Loudwater, in the hope that you might be able to throw some light on this deplorable event. I don't think I can, said Olivia gently, but of course, if I can do anything to help you find out about it, I shall be very pleased to try. She looked at him with steady, candid eyes that deepened his feeling that she had had no hand in the crime. And of course, I'll make it as little distressing for you as I can, he said. Do you know whether your husband had anything worrying him, any serious trouble of any kind, which would make him likely to commit suicide? Suicide, Egbert, cried Olivia, in a tone of such astonishment that, as far as Mr. Flexen was concerned, the hypothesis of suicide received its death blow. No, I don't know of anything which would have made him commit suicide. Of course he had no money troubles, but were there any domestic troubles which might have unhinged his mind to that extent, said Mr. Flexen. He wished to be able to deal with the hypotheses of suicide should it be put forward. Olivia did not answer immediately. She was thinking hard. The possibility that her husband had committed suicide, or that anyone could suppose that he had committed suicide, had never entered her head. She perceived, however, that it was a supposition worth encouraging. At the same time, she must not seem eager to encourage it. "'But they told me that he had been murdered,' she said. "'We cannot exclude any possibility from a matter like this, and the possibility of suicide must be taken into account,' said Mr. Flexen quickly. "'You don't know of any domestic trouble which might have induced Lord Loudwater to make an end of himself?' "'No, I don't know of one,' said Olivia firmly. "'But, of course, he was sometimes quite mad.' "'Mad?' said Mr. Flexen. "'Yes, quite. I told him so last night, just before dinner. He was quite mad. He said that I'd kissed a friend of ours. At least he was a friend of both of us, till he quarreled with my husband some weeks ago, in the Eastwood. He raged about it and declared he was going to start a divorce action.' but I didn't take much notice of it. He was always falling into dreadful rages. There was one at breakfast about my cat, and another at lunch about the wine. He fancied it was corked. Olivia had perceived clearly that since Elizabeth Twitcher had been a witness of her husband's outburst about Gray, it would be merely foolish not to be frank about it. But the last matter was very much more serious than the matter of the cat or the wine, said Mr. Flexen. You don't think that your husband brooded on it for the rest of the evening and worked himself up into a dangerous frame of mind? Olivia hesitated. She was quite sure that her husband had done nothing of the kind, for if he had worked himself up into a dangerous frame of mind, he would assuredly have made some sort of effort to get at her and give some violent expression to it. But she said, that I can't say. I wish I had gone down to dinner now, but I was too much annoyed. I dined in my boudoir. I'd had quite enough unpleasantness for one day. Perhaps one of the servants could tell you. 
They may have noticed something unusual in him, perhaps that he was brooding. Wilkins did say that Lord Loudwater seemed upset at dinner and that he was frowning most of the meal, said Mr. Flexen. That wasn't unusual, said Olivia, somewhat pathetically. Besides, she stopped short on the very verge of saying that she was sure that those frowns cleared from her husband's face before the sweets, for he would never take afternoon tea in order to have a better appetite for dinner, and consequently was wont to begin that meal in a tetchy humor. Such an explanation would have gone no way to support the hypotheses of suicide. Instead of making it, she said, Of course he did seem frightfully upset. But you don't think that he was sufficiently upset to do himself an injury, said Mr. Flexen. Olivia had formed a strong impression that her husband would not in any circumstance do himself an injury. It was his part to injure others. But she said, I can't say. He might have gone on working himself up all the evening. I didn't see him after he left my dressing room. It was there he made the row, while I was dressing for dinner. Mr. Flexen paused. Then he said, Mr. Manley tells me that Lord Loudwater used to sleep every evening after dinner. Do you think that he was too upset to go to sleep last night? Oh, dear, no. I've known him to go to sleep in his smoking room after a much worse row than that, cried Olivia. With you, said Mr. Flexen quickly. No, with Hutchins, the butler, said Olivia. But that wouldn't be such a serious matter. Not one to brood upon, said Mr. Flexen. I suppose not, said Olivia readily. Mr. Flexen paused again. Then he said in a somewhat reluctant tone, There's another matter I must go into. Have you any reason to believe that there was any other woman in Lord Loudwater's life? Anything in the nature of an intrigue? It is not a pleasant question to have to ask, but it's really important. Oh, I don't expect any pleasantness where Lord Loudwater is concerned, said Olivia, with a sudden, almost petulant impatience, for this inquisition was a much more severe strain on her than Mr. Flexen perceived. Do you mean now or before we were married? Now, said Mr. Flexen. I haven't the slightest idea, said Olivia. Do you think it likely, said Mr. Flexen? No, I don't, not very. I don't see how he could have got another woman in. He was always about, always, of course. He rode a good deal, though. He did, did he? said Mr. Flexen quickly. Every afternoon and most mornings. That was important. Mr. Flexen thought that he might not have to go very far afield to find the woman who had been quarreling with Lord Loudwater at a few minutes past eleven the night before. She probably lived within an easy ride of the castle. I'm very much obliged to you for helping me so readily in such distressing circumstances, he said in a grateful voice as he rose. If anything further occurs to you that may throw any light on the matter, you might let me hear it with as little delay as possible. I will, said Olivia. By the way, Mrs. Crothers told me that you would like to stay here while you are making your inquiry. Please do, and please make any use of the servants and the cars you like. My husband's heir is still in Mesopotamia, and I expect that I shall have to run the castle till he comes back. Thank you. 
"'To stay here will be very convenient and useful,' said Mr. Flexen gratefully, and left her. He came down the stairs thoughtfully. It seemed to him quite unlikely that she had had anything to do with the crime, or knew anything more about it than she had told him. Nevertheless, there was this business of Colonel Gray and her murdered husband's threat to divorce her. They must be borne in mind. He would have been surprised, intrigued, and somewhat shaken in his conviction that she had been in no way connected with the murder had he heard the gasp of intense relief which burst from Olivia's lips when the door closed behind him, and seen her huddle up in her chair and begin to cry weakly in the reaction from the strain of his inquisition. End of chapter 6 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas